Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. And today we're going to be talking to Mr. Rohan Sate about the topic of data loss prevention or DLP. Rohan um, is currently the CTO and co-founder of Nightfall and has previously worked as one of the founding engineers of Uber Eats. Rohan, how are you today? Great. Thanks for having me. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, whereabouts are you located? Based in San Francisco, grew up in the, the Bay Area and, uh, you know, spent spent about eight years plus here in San Francisco after uh, after school. Nice, nice. I'm, um, I'm just up the coast from you usually. I'm up in the Seattle-Bellevue area. Right now, I'm one time zone to the right over in Arizona for weather <laughs> because it's just <laughs> this time of the year in Seattle. I mean, they're just getting hit really, really hard. How are things in the Bay Area? It's awesome. Um, you know, the San Francisco doesn't get as cold as, as the South Bay does where, where I grow up. Um, and so I'm feeling pretty good. Excellent. Excellent. Well, hey, um, can you maybe to set the stage, talk a little bit about um, data loss prevention or DLP and explain why you feel that it's so important? Yeah. So data loss prevention, um, the, the crux of sort of the, the problem that security professionals are um, trying to solve there is really to understand what sensitive data they they store in the applications that they're using um, or, or that their employees are using, and then classifying sort of what is sensitive about the data that they that that exists in those systems, and then potentially preventing data breaches from occurring from the those underlying applications. And so the approaches there are to understand uh, if there is sort of accidental exposure of sensitive data in, in any of the underlying applications or if a third party, malicious third parties, is in the process of actually exfiltrating data. Okay, can you walk us through like a, a real real life example? Yeah, traditionally, um, you know, a, a common DLP sort of use case would be if uh, you know you have laptops that employees are using, you want to monitor those for any exfiltration of data. You know, DLP system would be monitoring any egress coming out of the system, like through a USB port or through the network. They'd be scanning for different types of sensitive data, say credit card numbers, and then they would notify security teams if, if they noticed any uh, suspicious behavior. Excellent. Okay, well, as I mentioned in, in the, our short conversation before we started recording here, there are obviously a lot of different DLP solutions on the market right now. Uh, and, you know, for example, obviously Microsoft in, in their O365 even has DLP tools built in, right, that can detect, for example, uh, credit card information or social security numbers. They can flag that and you can set policies so you can see, you know, force encrypt or if they're sending the sending the document to somebody in, internally, maybe enact one set of policies externally, another set of policies. Um, how, you know, what angle is... Um, nightfall taking that is, is is different from all the rest yeah great question it, it, it's probably important to separate kind of the incumbent dlp market from the the emerging dlp market so traditionally as i mentioned the vendors in the dlp space had been focused on endpoints so you know laptops of employees or servers in a data center the threat vector has now started to shift towards cloud applications that are being used internally at at enterprises and so uh, the incumbent players still play a part in protecting those underlying applications, but 
given sort of the new threat vector, there's been a category of companies that have emerged that are focused on protecting these these cloud applications. So th those would be, you know, SaaS app, your, your classic SaaS applications like Slack or Google Drive, GitHub, as well as data infrastructure products on any IAS uh, ecosystem players like AWS or Azure or GCP. Um, so that that's kind of been sort of the, one of the main shifts, um, and and the second has been sort of the focus on how data classification happens. Traditionally, the approach for identifying information was rules based, so you know, regular expressions, pattern based matching. The advancements in NLP specifically have allowed us to to be a little bit more advanced in how we approach the data classification problem. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, a, a great example would be identifying names. Um, so in the past, if you wanted to create a rule for that, the approach would maybe be to, you know, create a dictionary of all possible names that that you could think of. Right. And mm -hmm. you know, obviously that's pretty brittle and, and hard to update. Um, and so the, the new approaches in the NLP sort of ecosystem have been focused on named entity recognition. So the idea there is to understand sort of the context of a sentence and then extract pronouns from that and that that is a better sort of approximation towards names rather than, uh, you know, something that, that would be rules-based. And then, so is this a technology in terms of the NLP? Is this something that you're developing or is this something that you kind of add on to your solution? Because, I mean, you're, you're looking at kind of a couple different um, subject matter expertise requirements there, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, so the, there's, there's definitely a little bit of research that needs to happen as we build sort of any of the underlying data classification models that we build, um, particularly if we're doing something in the healthcare domain, then, you know, of course we have to understand sort of the compliance there and, and the requirements for what we're classifying. Um, but ultimately, yes, we are sort of building all these algorithms and training them with uh, data that we can find that is publicly available um, or, you know, leveraging some of the, the, the data in our ecosystem um, through, through usage of our product. Well, that actually brings up a really good point. Uh, are you able to craft, you know, industry-specific solutions? Um, and then if, if you can do that, how about company-specific solutions? Yeah, so at the moment, um, we, we try to keep it pretty general, which means that, yes, we can build things that are industry-specific. So as an example, for a lot of our healthcare customers, they, they care about similar things. Uh, so, so specifically in HIPAA, as they're looking to get compliant with something like HIPAA, there, there's a data security control in HIPAA that says, you know, you have to protect 19 classes of sensitive data and they've identified exactly what those classes are. And so we build, you know, models for things like social security numbers, medical record numbers, ICD-9 codes, things like that. And those things will generalize really well to any of the healthcare customers that we go after. And then there are segments that are similar and have an analogous sort of compliance and security uh, related DLP uses. So, you know, in, in fintech, education, consumer tech, um, and the list kind of goes on. Um, and then it, rarely the customer has sort of something very specific that they want to look for. Today, the platform supports them just building a rule or heuristic to, to accomplish that. And then we, we can sort of build a custom detector for them. Um, in, in the future, what we do want to build is the ability for a customer to send us labeled data and we can train a machine learning model for them automatically. Okay. So what, what would be the typical, you know, deployment process uh, with your solution? Yeah. So if we just talk about a classic use case of ours, you know, healthcare company looking to be HIPAA compliant on 
some of the applications that uh, that their employees are using. So let's take Slack, for example. The customer would come to us and say, hey, I want to make sure that, you know, PHI, protected health information, stays out of Slack. And so the deployment sort of modality for us is, is very straightforward. And I think that's the, the value prop that, that our customers enjoy as well. But the idea is the customer will give us authentication into Slack. So this is completely API driven. There are no agents sort of involved in this process where we're shipping any of our customers' software. This is all running on our cloud infrastructure. Um, so they would click a couple of buttons as a Slack admin that would authenticate us into their Slack instance. And then we would be scanning any net new data that's added to Slack on a continuous basis. So as employees are collaborating and sending messages and channels or DMs um, and files, you know, we'll be scanning those for the, the types of sensitive data that they're looking for. And if you spot some sensitive data, I mean, what's, I mean, I, I'm assuming that you've already set up some policies. You've, you've consulted with the customer and, and said, you know, in, in this type of situation, we want to enact this type of policy. And then you do, you set that up obviously before you, you know, flip the switch and go live. Yeah, exactly. So, so, you know, we have playbooks uh, that are pretty classic for, you know, healthcare customers, but our CS teams will work pretty closely with the customers during the onboarding process to set up these policies and make sure, you know, we're looking for the things that they're interested in. Um, and then, you know, one one piece of this is sure we can surface all these problems for you, but you know how can we actually automate solutions and, and remediations to, to those problems? And so in the product, there's an automated way to take action. So, for example, on Slack, we can do things like, you know, of course, notifying the security teams, but also deleting the underlying content from the system automatically, or redacting the content, or quarantining the content. So those are the types of remediative actions that we support. Okay, so you're not actually uh, flagging something to the to the user themselves and saying, "Hey, uh, by the way, this is could be sensitive information. You may want to not share it, or you may want to encrypt it, depending on wh what they're doing with it, etc." Oh no, that's a great point. We we do do the end user notifications as well, so we can automatically send the end user a notification, coaching them about you know the policy that that company might have about sharing sensitive data, and coaching them not to do that if Slack isn't the appropriate medium. Okay, let me ask you. Um, can, maybe we can back up a little bit. Uh, tell me a little bit how you, um, you know, got started as a co-founder of Nightfall. Yeah. Um, so I, interestingly enough, um, I, I was actually in consumer tech um, before sort of this adventure in security. So um, had made my way to Uber from from a company uh, from a consumer mo mobile voice over IP startup um, and part of the reason was because they wanted to use some of the technology that we had built to replace uh, uh, the, the voice apis that they were using uh, where drivers and riders could communicate um, with each other and so was brought over to, to uber i think what excited me there specifically was that i would be able to basically start a, a sub business unit inside of uber and leverage kind of the core technology that we had already built there and so was going to be able to sort of exercise these entrepreneurship chops that I wanted to to do in in sort of a lower risk, uh, uh, well-funded environment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so, uh, fortunately, was able to work on sort of core logistics software that we had built, which previously was was really only designed to support uh, a rides business. And and sort of the insight that we had was, you know, th this technology could actually be used to just deliver anything. So we were delivering people from place to place. And, you know, we, we decided that, hey, why, why can't we just deliver packages or food or, or anything really from point to point? And so we sort of abstracted this 
logistics platform to support more of these types of use cases. And then we got product buy-in to start Uber Eats. So myself and a handful of folks on the engineering side, you know, started Uber Eats, launched that to our first marketplace and, you know, successfully kind of scaled the business to, 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 to a global sort of footprint. I think now Eats even does more than, than rides in terms of gross bookings. Um, it's a pretty phenomenal business. And um, I, I could just tell you a quick side note there. I, I lived in Japan a total of six years, but um, I went back from 2019 to 2020. And it's so funny because um, you just see any like students, anybody that has a bicycle, whenever they had some free time and all you need to do is download the app, sign up and they'd get, right. you know, it's just part-time work. And this is something just two years prior, never saw it. And then the whole ecosystem just shifted, right? <laughs> it's uh, yeah. pretty amazing. And that's Japan and Japan's usually kind of slow on the uptake for, you know, these types of services, but, uh, right. no, hugely, hugely popular there. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's a great way to make some, some side money, especially, uh, earlier in your career. Um, and I think, um, you know, I think more importantly for me, we scaled the engineering team there to over 170. I happen to be leading a team focused on, you know, our pricing initiatives and, and leveraging ML to improve our unit economics. But just in being part of the Eats Engineering Org, started to observe sort of pain points that we were having regarding data security. And so primarily, I think one, we wanted to be a lot more proactive about how we thought about data security and data stewardship. And secondly, consumer compliance like GDPR and CCPA was coming around the corner. And so, you know, we needed to act pretty quickly and get compliant with that. And so we started to think about, you know, some of the similar challenges that we solve now at nightfall for enterprises, mainly around, you know, what types of sensitive data are we really storing and accessing? Where is that sensitive data going across all the other app, all the applications that we're using internally? And then ultimately, how do we protect that data for security sort of reasons or just to, to be compliant um, with things like GDPR? And so started to survey the market and see, you know, what, what does the incumbency sort of look like? Didn't find much that A, was modern in terms of what it integrated with. So we, of course, found sort of the classic DLPs that were focused on, you know, laptops and servers and things like that. Um, and then the approaches that we saw were pretty, pretty noisy. Um, so we saw mostly pattern-based and, and regular expression-based sort of data classification approaches. Um, and, you know, at, at Uber, we were processing petabytes of data across all our applications. Um, and finally, we didn't find anything that would really help us automate or take, take action sort of without us having to manually uh, do that. And so, you know, that insight basically led me to feel that there was a gap in the market and so decided to sort of explore that further as i mentioned you know was always interested in our entrepreneurship felt like at that point you know it was the right time to kind of make a move and uh, explore the idea further and uh, partnered with isaac my co-founder who was in uh, venture capital investing in security companies at, at, a, at a firm called venrock um, we're actually childhood friends we, we grew up together in uh, this, the south bay area um, and, you know, stars kind of align, you know, obviously his background is a little bit more on the go to market side, just being inventor and, and mine on the engineering and product side, uh, at Uber. And so we spent about six months really just diligencing the idea, talking to CISOs, compliance folks, security engineers, just understanding kind of what their challenges were around data security and, and, you know, understanding sort of what tools they were using, you know, how much they would pay for, for 
different types of software. Um, and really through those conversations emerged some interesting sort of early pilots. We figured out sort of our, our beachhead in terms of how we would go after the market. Um, and uh, the rest is kind of history. Well, and t tell us a little bit about your progress um, since since um, launch. Yeah, so we've we've raised two rounds of financing um, thus far. So we, we did a seed round pretty early on and then uh, did a Series A shortly after. So raised about, I think, 20 million in total of capital from, from Bain Capital and Venrock, where Isaac used to work. About 50 employees um, have hundreds of customers at this point um, and, uh, you know, continue to grow. Uh, how, how are you? Um, how are you acquiring your customers? Yeah, it's interesting for us. So that you know, of course, in, in enterprise, there's sort of the traditional approaches, right? With uh, with in building out go-to-market teams. So we have a sales team that does outbound prospecting, um, and then of course we get inbound through just the, the marketing efforts that we have, SEO, um, and and some of the the standard kind of uh, inbound channels that that we that we market on. And then I think the the interesting thing for us is because we build um, integrations with some of these third parties, we're able to a sort of basically market ourselves on their app ecosystem. So like on right. Slack, we have a Slack app in their app store and we show up as like a Slack DLP app. And then as sort of customers start using uh, the, the Slack app, you know, Slack notices that or whichever vendor notices that and we're able to build a closer relationship with their go to market team. So in certain cases, you know, depending on the, the integration, the, the go-to-market teams at that underlying company will will send us customers. Makes a lot of sense. Um, I worked for a Microsoft partner for four years, and the majority of our business came in through that relationship with Microsoft. It's a huge, huge channel there. Um, well, let me ask you, um, how how do you keep? I, I mean, yeah, obviously, there's a, like I said, we've talked about before, a lot of competition in the market. Um, and you know, you, you're working on a unique kind of angle. Um, how do you keep abreast of not just what the competition's doing, but how the technology, when you talk about, uh, NLP and AI, for example, how do you keep abreast of what, what's happening in these areas? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's with, with data science and machine learning, the ecosystem is evolving so fast that it's really about sort of, uh, continuing to read papers, um, you know, and I think the the folks that we hire are just interested in sort of cutting edge uh, machine learning techniques as a whole, right? And so that that convincing them to to read papers and stay up to date is not something that I usually need to do. Um, but totally, I think I think it ultimately it's, it comes down to just making sure that we're aware of all the research that's happening, both in academic settings and uh, in in corporate settings, um, and then seeing if some of those techniques are are relevant to us. So. Um, you know, synthetic data is something that uh, is more of a recent sort of phenomena, and, and uh, you know, we, we've been keeping sort of track of that. I, I'm actually not familiar with that. What, can you explain what that is? The idea there is, um, you know, as you sort of build these uh, labeled data sets as, as, as you're building supervised machine learning models, uh, you want to make sure that you yourself are not incurring sort of this problem of uh, keeping sensitive data yourself, right? And so the synthetic data approach is sort of leveraging machine learning to generate fake data effectively, and then leveraging that uh, as part of training your models. So that way you don't need to store as much sensitive data at all. Okay, that sounds like I might need to read a paper or two on that. <laughs> so, um, 
what um, let me ask you this obviously maybe not every customer or, or organization you speak to is an you know an ideal fit with your solution what are some of the qualifying questions that you would ask an organization to determine whether or not um, it might make sense to to um, adopt uh, your, your your solution yeah uh, probably a great question for our sales team as they sort of qualify different prospects but I think um, you know, first understanding kind of what challenges they're facing, right? So if, if we hear sort of data security and we hear some of the classic compliance regimes, then, you know, typically the, the questions continue to go on further. Um, if we hear about certain types of applications that they're interested in securing, then of course that's a good signal too, right? So if they say laptops and servers and we say, you know, that that's not really the focus of ours, we have a complementary solution, an existing or incumbent sort of DLP solution that could be a better fit. Um, and then once we've sort of narrowed down the applications, then, then it's really about understanding what types of data they're, they're looking to protect. And uh, if that falls in the spectrum of sort of the types of classification algorithms that, that we build, then typically it's a good fit. I think um, one of the things that has been interesting is, is, is in helping security professionals sort of understand the, uh, the mo modalities of deployment. I think if you look at sort of the suite of incumbent tools or even some of the competition, the approach has really been centered around shipping you software and identifying sort of traffic within your network. So installing something on the laptop or on the corporate network itself. Um, we feel like that approach, A, the time to value for that sort of approach is a lot longer because you have to make sure that there's no performance implications of running something on uh, somebody's laptop or sniffing network traffic or re rerouting that, right? Ours is completely API driven, it's behind the scenes. And so um, that sort of productivity loss doesn't, doesn't occur. Um, but the second bit is uh, those approaches, you lose a lot of contextual information when you're trying to process network bytes. Um, whereas we are using sanctioned APIs and those APIs have very rich information in, uh, around what we're getting back and, and what we're expected to get back. And so, um, you know, from that standpoint, uh, customers have come to us and said, well, you know, can you cover X, Y, and Z application? And, and we say, you know, the network-based approach maybe is broad in terms of coverage. They don't have to build specific integrations with applications, but they lose a lot of context and that, that ultimately results in a lot of noise and potentially productivity loss for your employees. The other thing is your employees may not be using the corporate network or a sanctioned device, right? Like they could be using their own mobile phones in their home Wi-Fi that don't have any agents installed, that don't have any network sort of uh, uh, agents listening to traffic. And so, you know, there's not really a foolproof way these days, unless you have a corporate policy that prohibits that kind of usage, which, you know, some of the newer companies definitely don't have. Um, yeah, makes a lot of sense. Uh, what what can you tell me about your, your business or your pricing structure? Because it sounds like it, it should be quite different from typical, you know, number of devices, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so, Interestingly, so that there's kind of two core aspects of our platform. There's the native integrations, so some of the things that I just mentioned, where we we natively integrate with those applications and provide experience around data security in our in our uh, UI. And the way we price those applications typically is on a per user per month basis. So, you know, the reason we do that is the the, the customers sort of familiar with paying Slack, let's say. X dollars a month per employee, right? And so we're saying, you know, to provide additional data security capabilities on Slack, 
you know, let's charge you a fraction of that, right? So, you know, just making something up, if, if Slack costs a company 20 bucks, then we'll charge them like four or five bucks per user for, per month. Um, and so that will be per integration as well. And then if we're talking about our developer platform, which I haven't mentioned yet, which is really a series of APIs that security engineers or even product engineers can leverage to build data classification into whichever use cases they want. So we've taken sort of this engine that does data classification for the native integrations that we offer and just said, here's a developer API where you can just get access to it and funnel whatever data you want through it. Um, for that, we charge on a usage basis. So, um, you know, amounts of gigabytes that we run. Could, could an application developer say, you know, maybe not as big as Slack, but um, somebody else out in the market say, hey, you know what, we just want to offer this as part of our bundled service. Why don't we just adopt this white label, whatever you want to call yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So the use cases that we have there are, you know, cover, of course, covering applications that we don't natively cover. So if a security professional is like, hey, I want you to cover, you know, X application and I don't see it on the native platform, then, you know, we point them to the developer platform. Um, and then the other use case, which you, which you just described, which I think is really interesting is the companies themselves, if they have sort of initiative to offer data classification within their product, and that typically helps them move more up market, sell to regulated industries, um, they can embed data classification technologies into their product leveraging our APIs. And then they don't have to worry about, you know, building machine learning models and doing all the research reading <laughs> all those papers yeah exactly <laughs> very cool hey um well let me ask you so what's uh what's 2022 hold for uh, for nightfall yeah great question i think um you know for us it's really that there's the vision for us is data security for any application and and really to solve sort of that any application piece that developer api is a is a is a really strong component to that so in that sense, I think it's continued to evolve through the developer experience that um, that that occurs when when using the platform, and I think that that would include sort of adding more functionality and capabilities in terms of features specifically, but also expanding kind of the category of data classification algorithms that we build. Um, so that's certainly sort of one core aspect of of the platform. We're continuing to build out sort of sample tutorials around how you would integrate with. You know, let's say a logging provider, right? That's a classic use case that we have where your developers are using, you know, different logging solutions, sensitive data sort of naturally ends up floating in their PII, things like that, as they're looking to sort of observe and debug issues that are happening in, in their own products. And so, um, you know, building out tutorials that sort of show these types of use cases, leveraging our API, building out more SDKs, you know, we have support for some of the common languages, but of course there, there are many languages. And then on the native front, it's really about continuing to expand the, the, uh, the types of systems that we natively integrate with. So today we've kind of focused more on productivity tools like Slack and Google Drive and GitHub and Atlassian products. What's next for us is really thinking about, of course, the Microsoft ecosystem, but also data infrastructure. So, you know, databases on AWS or Azure GCP is sort of the, the next focus area for us. Sounds like a lot of um, real estate to cover there yeah. and should be should be a busy year. Um, if, if any of our listeners want some additional information uh, about Nightfall, where should they go? Yeah, just https.nightfall.ai uh, um, and we have video tutorials as well that folks can and take a take a look at to, to see how the dev platform works as well. 
Awesome. Any uh, any parting comments that you'd like to to you know let us know about uh, what you're doing? I think just uh, you know in, in sort of the hopes of companies being a lot more proactive about how they think about data security, right? So we don't have to think about sort of this in a in a post-processing fashion where it's too late if if you're you're deploying something where you're trying to identify if your data is getting exfiltrated. I mean, at that point, the exfiltration is happening. I think sort of the theme that that I'm hoping you know security professionals and compliance folks um, end up sort of gravitating towards is just being more proactive about data security and you know data stewardship as a whole. Ultimately, we as consumers are trusting these enterprises with with our data, and we hear about all of these data breaches that occur sort of it seems like every day and you know, I think that really starts with hygiene and, uh, you know, tools like Nightfall can, can definitely help with that. Well, let's definitely hope so. Hey, Ron, I really enjoyed this conversation and I'm super excited about the uh, the prospects in Nightfall. I'm sure you're going to do great. Thank you so much for, uh, for your time. Thanks for having me, Mark. Appreciate it. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.